So what is wokeism, this new virus that's both uh, parasitic and also pernicious? A clear path forward requires looking back and learning. Good public policy requires human connection. It's a consideration of the facts, applying common sense and innovation. It's urban, it's rural, it's real life. We all have something to contribute. We all have a responsibility to get informed because there's a little piece of Canada in all of us, isn't there? Let's learn on this path together. This is Leaders on the Frontier. So with me here today to talk about what is wokeism is Dr. Frances Whittleson. She's a professor and author and a senior fellow at Frontier. Welcome, Frances. Thanks for having me on. Well, Frances, I'm uh, delighted that you're here today. And um, this is a fascinating topic because we hear a lot about wokeism. It's used not only as a noun, an adjective, a verb, um, it's kind of confusing, uh, I think, to a lot of Canadians. So in simple terms, what is wokeism? Wokeism is identity politics that has become totalitarian. So that is, a, I think, is a very concise definition and gets to the heart of the situation. And in order for that to occur, what happened uh, it, it initiated, it emerged in the 1960s. So the, the, the ground was created uh, in the 1960s with postmodernism, which was a reactionary position that was attacking the Enlightenment, which was insisting that objectivity didn't exist and everything was subjective and if you made some kind of claim about an objective truth that could be shared by all, this was a power ploy uh, trying to maintain uh, some kind of wow. oppressed position. Okay, so that, that, that's a huge summary. Um, yeah. Lots of terms there. So basically, if you had to simplify it, though, um, yeah. wokeism, it's kind of an ideal, ideology that says there's no objective truth and that like it's a way of thinking though about it's a way a lens of looking at the world is that right it is but the uh, the no objective truth aspect which is postmodernism was what made wokeism possible so wokeism is the identity politics uh which you know used to exist as just one perspective amongst many in the universities now with wokeism it is that you must accept the subjective beliefs of uh, members of groups who are perceived to be oppressed. Um, so just as an example, like perhaps if I gave an example that might be helpful, which is uh, trans activism, which is one of the, 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 the most extreme forms of wokeism. Um, if you are born male uh, with, XY chromosomes and you believe that you are a woman, everyone else must accept that you are a woman because this is a way in which uh, you will be, that this uh, member of an oppressed group will be empowered. So it's the identity politics kind of idea combined with the totalitarian uh, type of impulse, okay. which is like the two kind of components of wokeism. So I remember years ago, there was a lot of phrases like, wow, you, you're really politically correct, or you're yes. politically correct. Yes. Um, and it had this kind of edgy judgmentalism to it. And there was a kind of a right way of thinking. It was almost absurd. Yes. And so it, it sounds like political correctness, but on steroids, but with this really kind of authoritarian edge and it's going everywhere. Is that a kind of yeah. a, another way to summarize it? I think so. I wrote an article a few years ago uh, talking about what I called politically correct totalitarianism and was taken from some work that uh, a grad student of Jordan Peterson did on uh, politically correct authoritarianism. I think totalitarianism is a better word because they're trying to change how you think about things. Like they're very, very interested in changing language. Mm. As Orwell, George Orwell pointed out, you know, 50 years ago, um, changing language so your thoughts 
are transformed. That that's oh. a very very important part of wokeism. So politically correct totalitarianism, the political correctness that we saw in the '90s, this is now um, the totalitarian character of it is that you everyone must abide by this. Okay. Before it was just kind of shaming people and saying you know you're being rude. That was kind of the kind of response. Now it is if you don't accept this, you will be subject to uh, legal types of sanctions. And this is wow. coming. This is already here. And this is gaining momentum as we speak. Okay. Because, I mean, some of this is confusing and, you know, you want to be careful about generalizations, but this is a very strong trend. It's it's seeping into all aspects of society. So we're going to talk about that today. Yep. And I remember years ago, we kind of, um, frankly, joke about people who'd be very politically correct because we'd say, well, they, they lack common sense. I mean, whoever thinks um, the way some of these people do, it's, it's, it's utterly bizarre. Um, mm. but their realm, they're going into a realm from like, it's one thing just to assert your opinion. It's mm. another thing to use the state and other actors, even corporations today are going woke yeah. that power to kind of force it on people. So you use a very powerful analogy about wokeism as being like a parasite. What do you mean by that? I think you use the, the analogy of the wasp. Yes. So this is not my, this, I should okay. give a shout out to uh, Christopher Nagel, who wrote a book called The Secular Fundamentalist. Um, Christopher Nagel calls the kind of environment in which wokeism thrives, the jewel wasp of indulgence capitalism. And what we're seeing, and it's not just wokeism, according to him, it's a, it's a wider kind of corporate speak, um, and but wokeism is part of it, whereby, um, and the jewel wasp is, for people who are not aware of it, uh, it's called the emerald jewel wasp. It is a parasitic wasp that lobotomizes cockroaches and then lays its eggs on the lobotomized cockroach. And what Nagel is getting at with that kind of grotesque metaphor is wokeism and all the various kinds of other aspects of late capitalism, which are trying to squeeze every last ounce of profit out of the system, is cannibalizing all the thousands of years of infrastructure that have built up and form the basis of human progress. So oh. what we are seeing is, is many things are being destroyed. And I think the trans, just to go back to the trans activism example, this is a very good, uh, you know, sort of way of showing this because you're actually destroying the foundations of human societies to be able to reproduce themselves by destroying sort of the relationships between the sexes and the reproductive mm -hmm. roles that people play in society. Yeah. And basically denying the essential truth of male and female that's the way we were created yes. Um, yes you know as precious people and yeah that's foundational to society that's pretty pretty basic isn't it and you're destroying it yes and you know now we don't we're, we're having all this these sorts of things happening in the school system mm -hmm. um, and it's kind of being pretended that this is just sort of the way things are, which are just being allowed to express themselves, mm -hmm. when what we're seeing is active attempts to encourage children to, to sort of doubt their, uh, whether they're a girl or a boy and these sorts of things. And, and while we might have the odd case where this is occurring, mm -hmm. uh, we have evidence that there is what's called a social contagion that is happening uh, with children and this will destroy uh, the basic fabric of society. Wow. Uh, and it's it's very, very frightening that we are allowing this to happen and we are being intimidated by these woke activists who tell everyone if they have concerns about the, the health of children, that they're a transphobe and they're a hater and all these kinds of things, which is making it impossible for us to be able to protect children which is, you know, sort of a fundamental aspect of a just society to be able to do that. In this context, yeah, how could you justify in any case, in any circumstance, sexualizing minors, children? Um, yes. So I do want to um, get to kind of a, a question around how do you know if someone or an institution could be woke and not to sound overly simplistic, but are there 
kind of like five key questions to ask to kind of reflect on, well, is this person woke? Any advice there? Yeah, so they would be the two kinds of uh, aspects of wokeism, which is one, the totalitarianism, and one is the identity politics. Okay, no, uh, but what do you mean by these terms? These are these are academic terms. What, what yeah, so, from a Canadian common sense point of view, what would be the five questions? So uh, cancellation is a good example of this. So do you want to shut down speech instead of encouraging open inquiry and discussion? Okay. So that would be one question. Is the person advocating canceling your speech because, well, we just don't want to hear that other point of view. We don't want to have a healthy debate. That would be a good yes. question. Okay. Yes. Is uh, subjectivity, is it being demanded that subjectivity be prized over objectivity? Okay. So the example would be gender. Gender is fluid and exactly. you can be whatever you want to be. Is that right? Yeah. So the fact that you have a particular biology is really not what's important. Uh, what's important is... Uh, uh, that you think you you believe that this is the case. Um, other uh, aspects which are very common are, are the kind of this intersectionality idea. So you have this Whoa. intersectional. What does intersectionality mean? That's a huge term. What what is that yes. about? So, uh, this is a term that was put forward by Kimberly Crenshaw about how oppression has multiple uh, types of locations. So for example. I am a woman and I, that means I'm oppressed on that, uh, that level, but I'm also white, what they, I don't, I don't see things in that way, but they would say I'm white. So that means that I'm an oppressor. So you would go through your entire kind of identity thing and ask whether you're disabled or whether you're a person of color or whether you're homosexual and, and any of those things where it seemed to be an oppressed oppressor, you would add up all those uh, types of sites of oppression or being oppressed mm -hmm. and you would place people on a scale and depending upon how oppressed you are that determines your right to speak okay. so i i should every time you say anything david i can just shout you down because i'm a woman and you're a man and i'm more oppressed than you are and therefore i should have more of a right to speak so wow. that is very very common kind of aspect of, of wokeism okay, to have so those people that subscribe to that woke way of thinking yep. kind of give you higher points depending on the number of categories you fit that kind of victim definition is that right and it's tied to speech and it's tied to speech so you'll often hear in conversations that people don't have a right to say what they're saying because of their particular location in this intersectional hierarchy. Wow. Okay. That's amazing. So it's not based on the quality of your idea. It's who no. you are identified on that scale of victimhood. Okay. Yes. So those are very powerful questions. What about even assumptions about, well, let's say about who your kids belong to. Um, like, do your do your kids belong to you as a parent, or do they belong to the state to raise up in terms of education? Is that another question you could ask? Me, I, I haven't, I haven't really. Uh, certainly, with the trans aspect, uh, we're seeing that now. That mm -hmm. um, you know, which is the debate that's happening in New Brunswick right now as to whether you know how much should parents. Uh, have control over their children's education, those okay. sorts of things. What's happening in New Brunswick, uh, Francis, if you could just clarify that. Yeah, so, uh, and this is a major battleground now. And uh, if the premier does not win <laughs> on this one, it's going to be more of a reactionary uh, kind what, of movement. Clarify, what, what did the premier do in New Brunswick? That's the example here. Uh, in your site. So uh, there was a policy. Uh, he... he changed policy so that um, teachers were no longer obligated to use uh, the pronouns and the name that a child had chosen if that child was under 16. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. And so what he was basically trying to do was to get the sort of create a situation where the parents would become involved in, in knowing that this was happening and then the woke element is fighting back against that, saying that, you know, trans students have to be protected in case their parents 
have a negative view of trans uh, rights and so on, or trans identities and so on. Um, And this is a major battle that's happening. And we have to be very concerned about what's happening with children here. You know, this is a bit delicate because, you know, sometimes you do have parents who are acting in a very, very oppressive way towards their children. And if that is happening, then, you know, the state is under obligation to intervene. So if a child is being abused by their parents, these sorts of things. So everyone acknowledges it. Yes, there is a time for the state to step in and remove children from homes. But in the case of trans activism and this idea that, um, you know, young children can start to see themselves in this way and and almost an encouragement of this, uh, we are seeing very, very serious consequences um, of children maybe having sick, you know, when they do grow up and, and reach, you know, 18 years old, having second thoughts about what happened. And this does, you know, when you're young, you often don't consider what are the implications of, of taking very, very drastic actions and chopping off body parts and doing these sorts of things, taking puberty blockers. These can have quite serious consequences for um, your life as a human being in terms of your fertility and all sorts of questions, which really, you know, children should not be making these decisions. Mm-hmm. They don't, they aren't able to make those kinds of decisions. So exactly. these are these questions. That are so what, what I find fascinating about your response, Francis, is that you are not kind of simplifying the issue as black and white in the sense that mm-hmm. generally speaking, we don't want to sexualize children. We want them to grow up in a healthy environment where they can be, um, safe and secure with their parents. Sometimes there are abusive situations, but those are more the exception rather than the rule. And so, you know, the assertion that we want to respect the child's gender is very important uh, to offer that kind of healthy environment. And, but, but I, but what I find interesting then about your answer is that you're not kind of falling into the trap, I think by a lot of people that subscribe to a woke idea is that, they use a tactic of making things black or white um, and using kind of binary answers. So in other words, you're either for transgendered rights or you're totally against it and therefore you're bad. Is that an example then of a tactic that's often used? They make black and white thinking? It is. The tactic is that the major tactic is we are not able to have that discussion. So cancellation, in other words. And, and censorship. Censorship, so, okay. We see that a lot. So, And there's a whole bunch of different issues now, and we see this in the universities, whereby you want to just have the debate uh, put forward and then have things evaluated in terms of, uh, according to reason, evidence, and logic, and you're told that this is hate speech and discrimination to be talking about this and therefore it should not be allowed. Okay. Um, you know, Lindsay Shepard, uh, which you had on the program um, quite recently, you know, she, she this is an example of what happened to her is that she wasn't really taking a position one way or another on pronouns, but she just thought that her class should be exposed to the different arguments around it. And she immediately got pulled into a disciplinary uh, meeting and told that this was completely inappropriate what she was doing. And it would be like, you know, having her students, you know, hear a speech by Adolf Hitler, you know, which is in my view, we shouldn't be not allowing people to listen to the speeches of Adolf Hitler. We should be analyzing the speeches of Adolf Hitler to understand what the nature of the roots of fascism are. Mm-hmm, so exactly. that's kind of the academic open inquiry type of position, whereas the woke position is, is that the answer has already been found and anyone who disputes that or even wants to have a critical analysis of that particular discussion um, is obviously uh, a hate monger and a racist and a homophobe and a transphobe yeah. and so on. And they should probably be put in jail. Is, is, so, is so people who tend to think in in uh, you know in terms of wokeism, they tend to believe they have the answers, 
And yeah. how dare you, to coin the phrase mm -hmm. of the, the yeah. environmental activist Greta Thunberg, how dare you think outside that box and we're going to make sure by force in some measure you conform to our way of thinking. So we're going to either cancel you, censor you, shut you down. We'll even try to put you in jail through the law. So they don't believe in freedom of speech. They don't believe in that. And they use words in a different way to kind of move us along this certain path of thinking. Is that is that a fair summary? Yes. And, and they actually claim that if you are in favor of free speech, this is some kind of right wing dog whistle that you are putting forward so that you can oppress people and keep down uh, those who are marginalized within society. Wow. And, and you see that argument all the time, um, which is ridiculous because free speech is one of the most progressive uh, types of ideas that we have ever developed as uh, as a species mm -hmm. and to have people actively trying to tear down those gains that we've made since the enlightenment is absolutely shocking yeah it really is it's profound because freedom of speech among other conditions has been essential to not just the sharing of ideas as we try to respectfully get at truth but to innovation, you can't invent anything, let alone have the scientific process. Like to be oriented towards science means to be open-minded, but you can't be open-minded with science if you're woke, can you? No, and woke is anti-science. Wow. And we've seen this um, uh, with the indigenization, uh, which is another major aspect of wokeism. Mm -hmm. So wokeism, two issues, and they're heavily, uh, you know, sort of influenced by wokeism. Uh, trans activism, I was I've already mentioned that, but indigenization is another one. So um, indigenous ways of knowing uh, is something which in the woke university, you must respect and value. So you cannot question whether indigenous ways of knowing are scientifically valid or not. Mm -hmm. And you're actually prohibited from asking questions about whether it is a valid way to try to understand the world. Okay. Because um, that would be seen as, as what? Disrespectful and racist or or what? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. so the idea again, so just in terms of the woke logic, which I'm not sure if people are, are completely understanding that, is Indigenous people, and according to this intersectional hierarchy, mm -hmm. are one of the most oppressed identities. And therefore, in order for them to overcome their oppression, their subjective beliefs must be accepted and there must it must be pretended that those subjective beliefs are actually objective okay. so wow. if an indigenous group believes for example that the creator the creator put them in north america from the beginning of time you must pretend to accept that as being valid mm -hmm. because if you do not you will not enable that member of that oppressed group to have confidence in themselves as an Indigenous person and to be able to, to you know, band together with other Indigenous people and other oppressed groups to try to overcome their oppression. Okay. Uh, so it's very disturbing for the academic uh, kind of realm. So, as so one of the things that strikes me then, Francis, about this, if you think of the tactics and, and that way of thinking, of trying to get in the mind of people who consider themselves woke or woke activists, is the whole idea of the tactics. What I'm really quite stunned by is how so many of these um, people that subscribe to wokeism really work to use um, force to cancel people, to censor them, to call them horrific names, to demonize people. Um, you know, it's the typical tactic that if you don't want to talk about an issue or debate it, you just simply shut them down and you demonize people. So in that case, does that mean that we're dealing pe with people who not only have a different worldview, they believe that the ends, like the, the, the vision of what they're working for, is justified by the means. So in other words, yeah, we're going to, I, I'm, I'm thinking of Stalin as an example. Yeah. I remember Stalin saying, if it takes breaking a few eggs to get to our communist utopia, then that's okay. 
Is that, is that what's going on here? Yes. Uh, the, as we mentioned before, the answer is already decided. This is the right answer. This is the right way in which people are supposed to act and the right goals. And, and often the goals are, are things that people would agree with. Like everyone agrees that, uh, you know, indigenous people have been treated terribly uh, throughout history. Um, it's important to try to deal with the terrible social conditions in indigenous communities. But, but in order to reach that goal, that doesn't mean that one has to pretend to agree with the views of some indigenous people, not all indigenous people, mm -hmm. the views of some indigenous people that, um, you know, there's, there's 215 murdered children uh, in the apple orchard in the Kamloops Indian residential school, or that, you know, indigenous science uh, is something that should be taught in the school system mm -hmm. as a as science or um, various healing remedies which have been shown not to be effective should be promoted for Indigenous people and so on. Mm. So the goal which wokeism uses, like that's what it relies upon, is, is sort of appealing to people's sense of justice uh, that they want to see change for uh, certain groups of people who are not doing very well in society. It uses that to say, well, if you want that, then you must accept these uh, ways of going about it, which mm -hmm. has not been demonstrated to be effective in doing what it's claimed to okay. do. But as soon as you raise questions about that, you get hit with all sorts of accusations that you're obviously a hate monger and a, a person who wants mm -hmm. to discriminate against mm -hmm. people. Okay, so in the context where we come from, we have a lot of traditions in Western civilization, and that would be that healthy debate is essential for the advancement, the innovation in our society, and for, frankly, the well-being of everybody, um, regardless of what kind of group you may be in. Um, so how is, but wokeism doesn't believe that, that dissent or disagreement then outside these premises or these beliefs is appropriate. Is that right? Yeah, they, they think it's a, a sign that you are a malevolent force in mm -hmm. society. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is very difficult. This, this puts you in a difficult position if that's how it's framed. Mm -hmm. That anyone who, and, and we see this with the residential school discussions that are going on, uh, academics Sean Carlton, Negan Sinclair, Keisha Supernaut and Ian Mosby um, saying things like, if you uh, question the residential schools, like not question the, the fact that they're genocidal mm -hmm. or question this sort of idea that there's all these murdered uh, children in many, many, you know, sort of clandestine graves, then if you're doing that, you're obviously got some kind of malicious intent mm -hmm. trying to destroy indigenous peoples. And, and they're, they're saying this blatantly that this is obviously, if you're going to be doing that, you are obviously a person who wants to uphold this oppressive system. Mm -hmm. When it's discussion that enable, enables us to understand how to overcome these problems, like, mm -hmm. like discussion, debate, critical analysis, that's how we try to figure out how to solve these problems. Mm -hmm. But they're, they're uh, using this to try to entrench their own particular program, which in my view is not effective in any way at, of addressing these problems. And in fact, is only benefiting a very uh, sort of select group of people uh, wow. within the system. Okay, so this is a, an example where we as a nation face some very many challenging topics and more than ever, uh, whether it's uh, claims regarding mass graves and, you know, uh, the idea that there's there's thousands and thousands of missing Aboriginal children. I mean, those, those are horrific claims. Mm -hmm. And so like any claim uh, made regarding crimes, they need to be um, examined thoughtfully and sensitively with evidence and facts, not just simply um, assertions yeah. based on who knows what. So in this case, though, um, 
I did want to back up for a second in terms of looking at Canada, um, because Canada is an incredible nation. It's certainly one of the most prosperous, uh, successful nations in the world. Um, and it's been based on a lot of very important principles and shared values, uh, principles like, well, like tolerance and freedom of discussion, um, the rule of law. Um, we don't just assert things, we base it on evidence and, and no one is above the law or below it. Um, like there's all kinds of those principles I could go through in great detail. But if you had to summarize wokeism wokeism is really all about attacking all those kinds of traditions and assumptions regarding not just those rights and freedoms but basically the structure of society from family um freedom of religion all those things are really being actively undermined is that a fair comment yes wokeism argues and this is i believe which i i don't know specifically if this is the case but i i've heard this is the case uh, a particular strand of it, which is called critical race theory, uh, which argues, uh, or at least there's the, the argument is put forward, that all these gains that have been made since we made the transition out of feudalism. So feudalism was, um, you know, sort of an aristocratic system where you had different rights if you were an aristocrat versus a, a commoner. Mm -hmm. We were able to go past that, to progress beyond those kinds of understandings and have the individual protected by the legal system. And no one, although we had uh, differences in wealth, which gave certain people better uh, defense in, in the legal system and so on. Mm -hmm. The principle, though, was that you should have the same laws apply to you regardless of your particular status uh, within society, which you would think that anyone who values equality would see as a positive development. Mm -hmm. That is now seen as part of white supremacy culture. Uh, wow. So that this is a way to have due process is a way of maintaining uh, racial inequality because white people by the nature of their skin are privileged already in society and therefore the legal system should be tilted so that people of color are given additional kinds of rights within the system where did this a lot of wokeism started is really in the bowels of these universities is that right that's true and it started in the 1960s with uh the development of these uh advocacy studies programs, black studies, women's studies, disability studies, and queer studies. And uh, what happened is, is that um, we allowed activist types of elements into the university, which were not academic in their character. They weren't about pursuing the truth. They were about, about promoting a particular activist agenda. And once those programs ga gained a foothold in the universities, they then began to take over the machinery of the universities and now are through various bureaucratic processes insisting that all aspect of the university uh you know sort of accept the wow. tenets of these programs. so it kind of makes sense that in our mind's eye like in the public we would assume that universities are about well teaching you know specific insights and skills not the least of which is our critical thinking but mm in a way that is is more neutral or or along those traditional lines of freedom of speech and and tolerance but we had a different set of programs you call them at um activists or sorry advocacy programs what do you mean by advocacy programs um advocacy programs and sometimes they're referred to as grievance uh, studies programs i think it's peter bogosian and and james lindsley helen proctor Black Rose. Um, advocacy is that you have a particular position that you're trying to um, promote within uh, academic area. Uh, so women's studies, for example, you could have uh, a women's studies academic program where you brought in a whole variety of different perspectives on the relationship between women and men and so on. But that's not what these advocacy studies programs do is that they have a particular um, perspective that they insist must be the one that is taught 
and is forms the basis of research in those programs. And if you don't agree with that, you will be pushed out of those programs. So it's very different than how academic uh, types of departments are structured, which is on a subject basis. And then you have presumably a number of different um, kinds of ways in which people are analyzing that, but you, it's not a prescriptive kind of way of going about studying, um, for example, sociology, societies or um, history, like they, they're, they're subject kind of areas, not um, sort of positional and okay. add and a particular perspective oriented around a particular perspective. All right. So if we look at universities, um, and I know this is a little bit uh, subjective um, or anecdotal, like you'd almost have to do a, um, an audit, but most prof professors or faculty in universities within the humanities, would they really self-describe themselves as woke? No, no. And that's the thing about woke. And, and to be uh, fair, like, I, I don't really like the term woke myself. Like, <laughs> I would, I resisted using it for many years because um, I think it's not academic enough. But mm -hmm. because people now have accepted this as, you know, kind of representative of this phenomenon we're mm -hmm. talking about, um, they would see themselves as, uh, I'm just trying to think how they would describe themselves. I think they would probably say they're progressive mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to reactionary, which is ironic because I see their views as actually being reactionary in the sense of attacking the enlightenment, mm -hmm. um, social justice, people who are in favor of social justice. Um, and, by diversity. Social, and by social justice, again, words matter here. Social mm. justice, why isn't the word justice sufficient? Do they add on social justice because it's about getting justice towards equal outcomes? What, what, what does that mean? Um, well, it, it, in my view, it, it, it has a, there is a reason for it which is valid, which is um, understanding that legal types of processes on their own aren't enough to create a fair and just society mm -hmm. because of inequalities that, that, that exist, that make it difficult for those processes to have um, a positive social effect. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I think that was the initial type of impulse uh, that existed with respect to that. Okay. Um, so um, so that, that, that I think is why, you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing to refer to social justice. Mm -hmm. It's just this kind of dogmatic imposition that in order to be a, someone who's concerned about having a socially just uh, type of way in which things are done, like, like I'm a person that, that, who's like that, mm -hmm. then I've got to sign on to all these things, which I think are highly, um, unhelpful in terms of trying to solve the problems that we are all agreed that exist. Exactly. So in the case of universities, we know that um, there's a lot of so-called wokeism or progressivism. It's, it's kind of confusing terms. But in the case of universities, are they recoverable? Um, I think you've used the phrase, do, do universities have cancer or do they have rabies uh, yes. in the sense that it's done? What, what do you mean by that? So that is Peter Bogosian who, who uh, said that originally. And it is, you know, are universities, do they, are they still salvageable, but need very, very uh, significant treatment? Mm -hmm. So cancer, uh, you know, you need chemotherapy, you need radiation, you need quite intensive kinds of uh, ways to try to correct things. Or are they so far gone like a rabid dog uh, that basically it has to be euthanized. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is a big debate that's going on. And I know people on both sides of this uh, debate. I myself am acting as if universities have cancer. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think it's going to be very difficult to create a whole new system. And as well, there's a lot of valid things that we've done with universities, such as having them be public institutions whereby anyone can go and be, be receive a high quality education. Mm -hmm. That was a positive development that happened over the last 40 years. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the sixties, 
you know, you'd have students who would never, uh, you know, if you were came from a family that was disadvantaged and so on, mm-hmm. you had no hope of, of, of being educated. So, yeah. so it was positive that this happened. Um, the problem is, is that we haven't really focused uh, on the standards, maintaining the high academic standards in the universities. And we've gotten sidetracked on all these uh, types of political issues, which I think are now um, basically completely destroying the, the university mm-hmm. system. So well, I it- think we have to think about the mechanisms with which to restore the the wonderful nature of the public institutions that existed about you know 30 or 40 years exactly. ago. Exactly. Well, it's a very important debate about universities. I mean, I hear this all the time from people. Why are we funding these places of wokeism <laughs> if there's no debate allowed and they're not really teaching high-order skills uh, to enable people to, to succeed or let alone critical thinking skills? So uh, that's a very interesting debate. Has wokeism taken over public schools? Uh, what's your yes. observation there, uh, Francis? Yes, they have. And this is, this is probably even a bigger problem is that um, the K to 12 system, which, you know, has uh, all sorts of, um, of these ideas. We're talking about the, the prizing of subject, subjectivity over objectivity and, mm-hmm. and the kind of censoring of people rather than allowing people to discuss things. Um, the decline in academic standards. So we have serious problems now because there's so much focus on the subjective mm-hmm. of um, students having the objective academic background that is needed to succeed in universities. Mm-hmm. So being able to write an essay, for example, like, um, you know, we, we don't, that's not really being done anymore. So you have students now graduating from high school who really don't have any kind of understanding of how to form an argument mm-hmm. and how to you know, have evidence that they're considering when they're making their points and so on. So mm-hmm. I think this is a very serious problem. In the I agree. It, you know, it occurs to me as well that sometimes it seems like school administrators want to use the, the cause of their woke causes, let's say, as a diversion away from really the important mission of education, which really should be teaching people, um, you know, the ABC, so to speak, so that they can actually uh, compete in this this world in terms of where we are as a country. So um, I find that interesting that that these causes can be used for different different reasons. Um, what about people and organizations in our society? I think of the, you know, the world of policing or the or law. Yeah. Are they all being infected by wokeism as well? Yes, they are. And uh, we just saw the uh, armed forces with their pride, having all these uh, members of the armed forces marching along with all these pride flags and everything like that. Like, like this is, this would have been unheard of, you know, five years ago, I, w- I would have thought. Mm-hmm. Um, the law is the most disturbing aspect of the, the situation because, uh, as you mentioned earlier, the rule of law, equality under the law, wokeism is opposed to that. Uh, mm. So uh, in order to try to invert what they perceived as, as the hierarchy right now, mm-hmm. so um, the idea that you know there's this intersectional hierarchy with um, people of color and trans people at the bottom and white people and what they call cisgender people at the top, what we need to do is invert that according to woke people and have the people of color being in control over, uh, you know, other non-white, uh, you know, sort of white, this whole way of kind of categorizing people wow. this way, which I'm, I'm totally opposed to. I, don't, I, I resist that, but this is how they're seeing it. Um, so they think that it should be inverted. Like they don't want to get rid of the hierarchy. They want to invert it. Like so put it upside they, down, you mean? Yeah, yeah. and, and um, just as an example, the worst case of a university or a college in that I've seen is Evergreen State College in Olympia, Washington. Mm-hmm. There's a great uh, 24-part documentary by Benjamin Boyce about the Evergreen story. And you saw this in these episodes of these um, Black trans students who are complete totalitarians who would go to things and say, this food is for Black people. White people can't have any of this food. These seats are reserved for black people and people of color. 
you know, white people stand aside. This is the way they were kind of seeing things, which is totally, <laughs> this is goes against everything that we were, you know, progressing uh, out of, you know, 50 it, years. It, it's hard to understand that uh, people would get caught up in this when it should be more about friendship and unity and learning great subjects and carrying on with our lives. But uh, I did want to give an example that you've experienced, and that is you were going to be speaking at the University of Lethbridge. And then what happened uh, briefly? Yes. Yeah, so I was invited by uh, Paul Viminitz, who is a philosophy professor at Lethbridge, um, to come and give a talk on uh, how wokeism threatens academic freedom. Hmm. Uh, Paul Viminitz and I are both board members on the Society for Academic Freedom and Scholarship, an excellent organization which is trying to protect the academic character of the uh, institutions. And um, we, we understand this is a major threat uh, to universities. So he asked me to speak on that and also to give uh, two lectures on uh, Indigenous ways of knowing in his philosophy class. Anyway, um, about a week before I was uh, going to be speaking, it became known by some activists and they started to agitate to have my the talk canceled. The president, Mike Mann, who is no who's retired, um, said something like uh, they had a free speech policy based on the Chicago principle. So while my views were abhorrent, um, I would be uh, still allowed to speak there. And then um, because of the mounting pressure from the Indigenous Studies Department and the Students Association, uh, he ended up canceling my talk. Mm -hmm. And then Paul asked me what I would like to do about this, whether I just would like to have a Zoom call, uh, a Zoom presentation. I said, well, I would like to do a Zoom presentation, but I think it's very, very important that I go to the campus and mm -hmm. try to give my talk in a speaker's corner type of format. And what happened is um, when I came out of the elevator, I was just absolutely uh, shocked to see about 700 uh, people there, over a hundred, not all of them were opposed to my speaking, but uh, definitely over a hundred were. And they basically made so much noise I couldn't speak. And then when I tried to go and, uh, give a talk in a quieter area. They followed me and shouted me down and so mm -hmm. on. And the most disturbing thing, there's two very, very disturbing things about that. One is the president congratulated the students for how they behaved, which is just absolutely outrageous. Um, and secondly, the union, which should be protecting academic freedom and open inquiry, um, made a statement about how mm -hmm. Um, there were going to be supports, uh, psychological supports for people who were going to be harmed hmm. by my presence on the campus. So wow. it was an exact textbook case of wokeism, ironically being deployed to shut down a talk on how wokeism threatens academic freedom. Wow. So, yeah. So you personally went through really quite a dramatic example where um at a university, no less, there wasn't really the opportunity to have a platform for free speech or inquiry, learning from each other in a respectful way. So I think this is part of the, the, the debate, though, is it not, is that persons who think through that other perspective would say, well, um, you did not deserve that platform because what you were doing was, in effect, hate speech. So there's, it's mm -hmm. kind of confusing the use of words to say or characterize another perspective as hate-filled. So yeah. is, is, the, is this kind of a paradoxical situation where people who throw out the idea of, of this is inappropriate because of hate are actually very hate-filled? Is is, is yeah, well, there were comments people were making who showed up there were saying they hate, like there was a, an Indigenous woman uh, who, when I was trying to walk to a quiet area to give the talk, I actually had one very, very good conversation with an Indigenous man who was actually asking me questions mm -hmm. about I meant by parallelism and so on. That was all great and, and uh, it was very, very helpful. And we, I think, developed a better understanding of one another's positions. But then when I moved to try to give my talk, um, an Indigenous woman started screaming at me mm -hmm. that I had stolen her land and how dare I come and try to give this talk with absolutely, you know, brimming with hate 
uh, towards me when, you know, I wasn't even going to be talking about a re the residential schools of this talk. Mm -hmm. uh, and not that my views, my views on the residential schools are not hateful. I, I totally accept that there were harms that were done by the residential schools. Mm -hmm. I just think that the genocide, you know, characterizing them as genocide is uh, invalid. Uh, similar to J.R. Miller, who's the major, you know, the most well-known uh, historian on the residential schools. And I think the whole unmarked graves uh, type of discussions that are happening are not based upon evidence. Mm -hmm. And we need to have evidence to um, make claims like the ones that are being claimed about things like Kamloops. So mm -hmm. um, this is not in any shape or form what would be characterized as hate speech, which is, as far as I understand it, is uh, subjecting a group to vilification and saying that that group is not entitled to protections uh -huh. under the law because they are so much, they should be cast out of society. Those kinds of, that's what the basis of hate speech is. Uh -huh. Whereas I'm saying, you know, Indigenous people are entitled to the same quality of services as all other Canadians are entitled to. They should not be given inferior services because of all this activism that is going on that just benefits a very, very uh, small group mm -hmm. of what I would call neo-tribal elites. Okay, so these are very powerful examples. If we turn to government and wokeism, um, yeah. what we're seeing is kind of a disturbing trend where, um, again, if there's a perspective that's being promoted, how dare you talk about it? So therefore they're introducing measures and laws to censor the internet, to yeah. go after um, and shaping the narrative in the media by funding the media even more. Right now we have some 2000 media centers uh, funded by the federal government. Is this again, a reflection of that wokeism to censor and control or shut down differing points of view or, or healthy debate. Yeah, so we have uh, the Indigenous Affairs Minister castigating uh, academics who are just trying to argue for evidence-based research mm -hmm. on landmark graves in the residential schools. That's an example of that. Any attempts to, um, oh, oh, and as well making uh, what they call residential school denialism, mm -hmm. uh, which is just arguing for fact-based research, criminal, like trying to criminalize that. Uh, so I don't, I don't think we've really seen that level of uh, attempts to control speech. Yeah, it's it's uh, utterly bizarre. I, I think related to this is actually at the federal level is the introduction of an environment, a very peculiar bill, uh, Bill S five, which is about uh, quote environmental uh, justice and equity. And part of the bill is also fascinating because it also has provisions around changes to, if memory serves me correctly, the Health and, and uh, the Health Act. Um, and so a lot of these terms are almost come out of the bowels of a university. And meanwhile, mm -hmm. they're not fully defined. In fact, I think the bill's mm -hmm. designed that these terms will be defined over the next two years. Is that another example where, quote, climate alarmism is another pretext, another reason to go in and basically censor and shut down anything they don't agree with? Anything where there's censorship, you know, this is this is uh, uh, an aspect of wokeism. So mm -hmm. any time when you hear that is an idea that should not be allowed to be discussed and we want to prohibit people from exploring this, that is when uh, we see this kind of totalitarian impulse mm -hmm. taking root. And, you know, there's other other kinds of, doesn't necessarily have to be woke. The woke is when it's an identity politics mm -hmm. uh, kind of issue to do with, um, you know, uh, race or uh, sex or sexual orientation, all these sorts of things uh, uh, that, that are part of uh, the identity politics side. Exactly. You know, it, it, it's kind of um, a paradox, isn't it, that a lot of this is being driven by the so-called elites, whether they're in Hollywood, in government or in academe. They're really a privileged lot who yeah. kind of self-describe themselves as the good and the great. And, you know, it, it's so curious that they think that they're entitled 
to somehow tell the rest of us how to live um, and are so entirely judgmental. Isn't that the paradox of this? Why can't they yeah. just let us live our lives the way we want to? Yeah, and, and at least let us discuss things, you know, like I think that there's a case that can be made that, you know, if you really think that this is a, a terrible thing that people are doing, then, then you know, no one should stop people from, you know, saying, hey, this is, this is not a beneficial thing that's occurring. But the disturbing thing about wokeism is that they try to prevent discussion on these issues. Mm -hmm. So that kind of disguises the negative social effect uh, that is going to emerge mm -hmm. from what is being proposed. Mm -hmm. So we really have to kind of, if we're, if we're really going to go after a particular uh, kind of characteristic of wokeism, it's its totalitarian character. If we could just get people to realize that shutting down discussion on important issues is not a way to try to deal with how to solve all those problems. Exactly. Uh, we can just make that point um, rather than saying, you know, shutting down discussion is very, very important because it prevents, you know, certain people from hearing things which are, they find to be very harmful and very hurtful and all these kinds of arguments that are made, which, you know, shielding people from, you know, hurt feelings um, is really not something that should be driving public policy like exactly. this, or universities or the legal system or all of our institutions which play very important functions sometimes hurting feelings right people. i look at the bigger picture francis and i'm very concerned nowhere in history has this type of totalitarian thinking where you think you have a right to tell other people individuals who are all really sacred to live their lives, whether it's controlling their kids and sexualizing them, whether it's telling you uh, what kind of vehicle you can drive, it goes on and on and on. That's never ended well. So if you have a situation like that, surely we need to wake up and realize that in history, whether it's been the fascists of Nazi Germany, the Maoists in China, whether it's been the Soviet Union, this is always resulted in really bad things in terms of millions of people's lives lost. And so I'm, I'm very concerned about that without sounding overly dramatic. This has never ended well, has it? <laughs> uh, no, and, and I am very worried. Uh, I think we are, you know, have serious fascist uh, possibilities that are on the horizon. And, you know, for people who are interested in history and are looking at, you know, Nazi Germany and the, you know, there was a period in, in Germany before the Nazis took power where it was not a totalitarian state and freedom of expression was one of the first things that got taken out uh -huh. because if we don't have freedom of expression and free speech, we have no way to determine what the best course of action mm -hmm. is going to be so exactly. we, so we lose a very very important you know self-correcting kind of mechanism uh, which is at the heart of how human beings can create a better world exactly uh, for us. yeah you know, so, so we, we lose it all in this couldn't we francis if we lose things such yes. as the freedom of speech to have healthy debates to be able to have the rule of law to be able to um, be able to control your property, to be able to have a kind of a healthy civic discourse. If we don't have that, we lose it all, don't we, Francis? Yeah, we lose our ability to um, decide as to, you know, make informed decisions about how to proceed. So, you know, there are, you know, this is kind of the, the, the thing that is, is interesting to me is that we have uh, debates on the left and the right about you know whether capitalism is a is a beneficial system or not, and how property should be you know divided. Those are uh, political arguments uh, that you know we can you know sort of at this point just kind of sidebar for now because we are now fighting for the ability to have those arguments. Mm -hmm. Like like we're not like we get distracted and and when and I see this myself because I'm I'm a person who's a, a socialist so. I don't, uh, you know, I don't accept capitalism as being a, uh, I think it, it had some benefits, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of history, but I think it has some serious problems. But right now, 
It's like, you know, I can't get, I have to, I have to fight for my uh, ability and other people's ability to have those arguments about yeah. whether it's beneficial or not. Um, and we are losing that. We are losing that ability to do that. And for people who are not taking this seriously, you know, we have to fight back now. Like, like people say to me, well, we're not being, you know, you know, you're not being thrown in jail or anything like that and so on. Well, that's not far uh, away. Like exactly. it's, it's happening already. And, you know, it's, we're not being disappeared uh-huh. yet, uh, but this is things that have happened in societies that do not have the kinds of legal protections and protections for speech that we used to have not that long ago, exactly. you know, 10 years years ago this is all being destroyed and it's changing rapidly so speaking of change and speaking of hope and action um i find it very interesting because as i bump into people at the corner store or um you know at a fast food restaurant just last week i am amazed by the level of knowledge that a lot of caring thinking canadians of all backgrounds have about this kind of strange ether in our culture now called wokeism where they just say but this is not common sense this is like insanity (laughs) and i think like a lot of people working canadians don't buy into this at all um i have yet to meet many of them at you know I, i there may be some but i've yet to meet them um they're not buying into this so this is being pushed on us by the the so-called elite, the good and the great who think they have a right to run our lives. To me, is that where your hope is as well, is that working people just don't buy into this nonsense? I think that's public opinion is a very important uh, thing to try to, uh, and that's where you know professors have kind of failed, is that we, we haven't really uh, impressed upon the public as to how important uh, universities are as both, you know, providing professionals uh, who are in these leadership positions, or the knowledge, the quality of knowledge that is is being produced, which is now being corroded, or generally as one of the only institutions, if the only institution where you're kind of guaranteed uh, the ability to discuss issues in society, and that being lost, and the negative impact that that is going to have on society. But I think we need to spend much more time, you know, talking to people uh, about um, how important the values of the Enlightenment are. Mm-hmm. Like this, this is an incredibly important development that happened in human history that we fought for. <laughs> people lost their lives mm-hmm. uh, for this, for the rights that we have today, and the fact that we're seeing this crumble um, and being spun as somehow this is going to be in an improvement for members of oppressed groups. Um, this is just absolutely terrible. And, and we, we, you know, we really have to kind of develop a more robust kind of way of communicating, um, with the public so that, you know, hopefully we can have uh, a multifaceted approach mm-hmm. to fight back against this, Uh, sort of this totalitarian impulse that is, you know, accelerating in its ability to control people in society. Okay, so let's uh, zero in on that as we bring things to a close, Francis. If we look at inspiration, your leadership in so many circles has been an inspiration as you have been able to have the courage to speak up um, and to be able to try to speak your truth and be able to have those kinds of debates. What is your advice to citizens who are, to our audience, who are caring citizens, who care about their community, their country, let alone the next generation? What can they do to help turn this tide of insanity that is uh, starting to wash over Canada? It's a difficult one because a lot of people are, um, you, 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 you will in all likelihood be punished. Uh, for th- depending where you're situated in in in, in uh, society, um, so that is you know. But try as much as you can to say what you think is true. To speak uh, up, to have courage. To have courage, mm-hmm. um, you know. But at the same time, you have to be a little bit strategic about it and mm-hmm. try to bring other people with you. So so that's helpful as well. So if if you try and do it 
uh, on your own, uh, uh-huh. that's when you are in danger of being taken out. If you can develop a bit of an organizational force uh-huh. around you, and it's by kind of coordinating people um, that then you can actually have some kind of effect. Um, individually, it's important as an individual to not violate your own principles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and wokeism, of course, encourages people to do this all the time, mm-hmm. uh, to, you know, say things that they don't think are true and to, you know, go after people and punish them for just, you know, being someone who's giving an opinion, mm-hmm. you know, don't pile on, uh, the mobbing, uh, kinds of things that happen, um, you know, these are sort of individual, but this is more of an individual ethical kinds of approaches as opposed to having, you know, political impact, which is really what we seriously need to be um, kind of focusing on at this stage. Well said. Well, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Francis Widowson, for joining us in this conversation about understanding the confusing world of wokeism and what's going on and its impact on our society. I think You're an inspiring leader who, with your courage, has also challenged us to think about what we can do and to not be afraid, but to act thoughtfully and uh, with others so that we can be able to stand up for truth and to also help build our and renew our country. So thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity. Thank you, Francis. Thank you for watching Leaders on the Frontier. We're a nonpartisan think tank. We explore ideas, policy, and practical solutions that can make a difference in the lives of Canadians. We do not accept any government funding. We work for you. Thank you for supporting Frontier. Visit fcpp.org to give. While you're there, be sure to check out our latest articles and research. Without open discussion and debate, you're not thinking, nor are you free comment below. We'd love for you to join the conversation.